Well, for those of you who went to the app, who pulled up today's message, uh, forget it. <laughs> uh, we're still going to use the same text, but we're going in a little different direction today. And uh, I'm not sorry. I, I think that's the way that the Lord would lead us, and so I want to be faithful uh, to that. So we are going to be in Mark chapter 12 today. If you need a Bible, if you raise your hand, one of our staff will happily bring you scripture. Uh, I, I love to see the written word. I, I love the pages of it, and that's, that, that's just me. It's how I, I grew up. Some of you, you're just as comfortable with your devices. I respect that. I appreciate that. I'm just going to ask you, nay, beg you, please stay in the scripture with us as we go. You may be tempted to go check out other things or go to other places uh, while we're together. Please, <laughs> please don't do that today uh, because I think the Lord might have something for us that as we engage together uh, will be both beneficial and challenging, encouraging and perhaps even frustrating a little bit. And in all of those things, we're just going to go, okay, Lord, I'm going to receive what you have for me and whatever you want to take, you can have. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 together. And as you're turning there, as you're finding that space, uh, I want to highlight just a few things for us. We started this series recognizing that in Mark, this is the final third of the book. In this final third of the book is really one week. This is one week of ministry of Jesus' life. It starts with a triumphal entry and is going to end in the resurrection. And we're going to celebrate that resurrection on Easter where we'll talk about that passage specifically. But it starts with this triumphal entry. Do you remember it? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were so excited, seemingly. So excited that they were taking their cloaks and they were throwing it on the, uh, on the street for Jesus to go over like a king would come in on the red carpet. This national celebrity, they had heard about him. You, you can imagine, when someone can multiply bread and fish, word gets around. Uh, you mean that we could have a king who we wouldn't ever hunger? That's a good deal. That's a really good deal. Jesus also interrupted funerals. Nah, she's just sleeping. <laughs> we know what dead looks like, and she's dead, Jesus. Nah, she's sleeping. Have faith, watch and see. And he raises people from the dead. Word gets around. Why, if he... If he can raise people from the dead, what can he do in my life? If he can bring food, what can he do in my life? Word gets around. Not just that, but there, there's this time where there's this, this storm and the boat is in the middle of this lake and it looks like it's going to sink. Like they're, they're struggling and they're not getting anywhere. And Jesus, who didn't get in the boat with them at that time, is on the other side walks on the water out to them and then they arrive on the other side and the people on the other side know that Jesus didn't start with them word gets around this guy could be the savior 
this guy could be the answer to everything. This starts uh, Passover week in the passage. Passover week is filled with the Hallels, the Hallel Psalms. It's Psalm 113 to 118, and they would be read throughout their time together. In fact, uh, chapter 12 is Wednesday of that week. On Thursday, Jesus is going to introduce the Lord's Supper communion, the Eucharist, this time of thanksgiving, of remembering the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. That's going to happen on Thursday. The Gospels record that on that Thursday, they sang the Psalms. Probably Psalm 118. Why is that significant? Because that passage refers, one, to the text today, but also is where they got Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Matthew 23, Jesus is confronting uh, those in Jerusalem that week. And he says, I'm not, you're not going to see me again. I'm not returning again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and you mean it. And all week, Jesus reveals that he is the one who has the power, the authority of the kingdom, and he's walking therein. Last week, we talked about some things. Uh, there was this cursing of the fig tree. And then there was this, what most people would call the cleansing of the temple. And then there's discussion of the fig tree again. And what we recognize is no, that that's not what was going on. Uh, Jesus curses the fig tree as an illustration of what is going to happen in the temple and in Jerusalem specifically. And then he spells that out at the end of that passage and, and he talks through that. There is an expectation of fruit. And after a season, that fruit should be present. And when that fruit is not present, there are consequences. And Jesus addresses that with the nation of Israel. They started to shout for him, not because of who he is, but because of what they could get. I would suggest to us today that often, often, that is a starting place for all of us. Like I, I remember when, when I came to Christ, I, I had nothing. Like I... In those days, uh, I was going from couch to couch. My friends, I was 17 years old. Uh, I had gotten kicked out of my house at that time, and for good reason. And uh, I was going from place to place, staying with friends. I literally had nothing. I was also nursing an injury, a surgery that followed. And I, like, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And one day... A friend of mine, when he invited me to church, I heard this good news, that there is a God who loves us. And in the midst of whatever is going on in your life, he wants to call you to himself. He wants to rescue you. He wants to save you. That's why he created you, to save you, to be with him. And I'll tell you that message, it hit me as I realized I couldn't save myself. I realized I didn't have it in me to, to do what was necessary that that salvation was only going to come in Jesus. My eyes were open that day. But they were open because, in part, uh, I'm selfish. And I wanted, there was something I knew I needed and I wanted. 
but it can't stay there. Like there, there has to be growth. And that growth goes on beyond what can I get out of this relationship? How does it benefit me to God? You are good. And no matter what happens, whether I get what I want or don't get what I want, I know that everything I have is because of your goodness. And I love you for who you are. There is a transformation that occurs. And for the nation of Israel who saw God and this mighty hand that took them out of Egypt and into the promised land, who miraculously over and over again restored this group of people, this small group of people, they should have moved on. It's not just about what I get out of this, but something that God has given me that I can steward and offer back to him. And so Jesus starts with the fig tree, the temple, and now we're going to hear a parable. We're in Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. And I'm just going to walk through it uh, one verse at a time. And it's very likely that I get lost in my notes, uh, in the scriptures, in, in my head, if I don't click to go to the next verse, someone just yell out, go ahead and click it, you know, something like that. It's fine. You, yeah, Tracy's got me. Okay, the rest of you, don't worry about it. She's got it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for volunteering for that. That was really, really thoughtful. It's a spiritual gift. Yeah. All right. Mark chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Thank you very much. Just take that. We'll put this here. All right. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. This is an important piece to understand. Parables throughout the New Testament are given not to clearly communicate. They're actually mysteries. And they're only for those who have spiritual eyes to see. Throughout the scriptures, except for this place, this is the only place where we see a parable given that those who are guilty are actually going to be the ones who get it. It's the only place. Throughout this time, and, and we see this given in Psalm 78, this is going to be the role of the Messiah. He's going to speak in parables. And uh, again, I would say that this is so foreign to us. You know, we have whole classes. We have actually majors in seminary and in Bible colleges committed to communication so that we can be effective communicators. And Jesus, in the way that he communicated, sometimes was like, yeah, I, I actually don't want people to know. What? Yeah, sometimes I'm going to say something and I don't want them to know. I, I want them to chew on it. I want them to wrestle with it. The mystery needs to be revealed by the Spirit of God, not by human words. Okay. This is one instance where it's different, though. This is one instance where it's different. So Jesus begins to speak to them in parables. And when he begins to speak, he's going to sound a lot like Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah uh, is uh, giving this message, the message of the Lord. 
And it's going to sound almost exactly what Jesus does, how he lays it out. At the end of Isaiah, what we find out is that there are some consequences. There is a judgment. And the judgment is for all of Israel. And all of Israel is going to be dispersed. Uh, They're going to be captured by the Babylonians. Jesus takes that illustration and he tweaks it a little. Let's go through this together. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Pause there. Jesus is communicating, one, a vast understanding of how vineyards worked in the ancient world. In those places, it was very common to also put a tower there. That tower is so that the tenants would be able to go to the top and they would look. After they had done a great deal of work, pruning vines, preparing, pulling weeds, all that goes into this, they would go up to the top of the tower and they would look around. Are there any animals that are trying to get in? Are there any people trying to sneak in? And they would be responsible to address it. Additionally, tenants, people who didn't own it but worked that property often, would live within that tower. That that would be their place where they would live. Jesus is communicating a vast understanding of an important industry. You say an important industry? Were they all a bunch of drunks? Nope, that's not what they're communicating. Keep in mind, this is the ancient world. There are not a lot of uh, filtration systems for them. Sometimes the easiest thing to drink would be a little bit of wine. Uh, it, 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 uh, uh, it, it would kill anything that was in the water uh, that would be problematic for them. So wine was an important uh, industry in ancient Israel. And Jesus is giving an illustration, a parable of something very common that they all would have been made aware of. Additionally, it was common for the owner to have a vineyard, set it up. And if he went away or lived in a different place... He would send his servants to get fruit of that vineyard. So they would test it. Like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty good wine. Or this isn't good wine. This is uh, bad or spoiled wine. Uh, and so Jesus is laying that out for all to hear. And as they're listening, you can almost imagine they're engaged. What's he saying? Let's keep going. Verse 2. When the season came... He sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Again, very common. That's what they were supposed to do. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Let's pause there. For those listening, it would have been very aggravating to hear this story. Wait a minute. There is somebody who owns a property, who allows other people to serve, who pays them to serve, to care for the vineyard, recognizing that a common expectation is that someone would come, get a portion of the fruit, take it back, uh, they would taste test it, and, and their response is to beat that person? That's ridiculous. It, it would have agitated them. Uh, let's keep going. Verse 3. And they took him... And beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, verse 4, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head 
and treated him shamefully. Pause there. The, the idea here it is a severe beating. Like they, Their intention is to crush his head. Uh, that's the intention. So there is an escalation of what's happening here. It goes from a beating to uh, they want to crush his head. Uh, they want him to end. Should I go on to verse 5? Just... Is there anything I need to do first, Tracy? Oh, we're good. Okay. Verse 5 is up there. Tracy, you're not doing your job. Okay. Verse 5. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. So again... It's escalating. They're going from beating him up, sending him away, to nearly killing him, uh, uh, almost crushing his skull, to, yeah, they, they kill him. And then the owner goes, my beloved son, I, I'm going to send him. Not the son I don't really care for, actually the one I like. Hey, oh, uh, wait a minute. You're going to send that? You're going to send that beloved son to a group of people who have not been faithful uh, to allowing the fruit to come back, the taste of uh, the vineyard. You're going to send the beloved son, again, to the hearers of that day. It's like, oh, this is trouble. Here we go. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. In terms of the story, it goes in the direction that they think it's going to go. Though to them, it's an atrocity. How can that be? Why would they do that to somebody that is caring for them like this person is caring? He is allowing them to be in his vineyard. They get options and opportunities because of that vineyard. Their sole responsibility is just to care for it, to just tend it. And then when there is fruit, they don't have to give all of the fruit to the owner. Just let him taste and see. Is it good? Are they doing a good job? Is there anything else that needs to happen? Do they need, do they need to trim it differently? Do they need additional water sources? And they don't even allow that. Not just they don't allow it, but they're willing to kill. They're willing to kill. In the illustration of the fig tree, Jesus curses the fig tree. Why? Because it doesn't bring fruit when it's supposed to. The call out in the temple is that they're not bringing fruit when they're supposed to. Jesus gives an illustration now. And in this illustration, it's not just that they're not giving the fruit, but also that they would be willing to attack those associated with the owner, with malintent, with maliciousness. And in verse 9, Jesus says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? What will he do? What should he do? 
What is right for the owner of the vineyard to do at this time? You can imagine them, like already agitated at the story, frustrated at how it went, and also kind of in the back of their mind, and I know this story. This reminds me of Isaiah 5. What happens there? And in real time, they're piecing these things together. Continuing on, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And now Jesus is going to turn a corner. He's going to move from Isaiah 5 to Psalm 118. Why is Psalm 118 important? It's important because during the Passover, this would have been one of the passages that they would have read, perhaps even multiple times. But certainly a passage that they would have been familiar with, anticipating even. Some of the younger people uh, would have tried in the synagogues in their hometowns to read these passages ahead of time, to be familiar with them, to be able to pronounce them correctly. And Jesus draws their attention to that passage. Earlier, they were saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Baruch Haba Beshim Adonai. Yes. Oh, I might get all the food I want. I don't ever have to taste death. If the king can walk on water, what can't we do? And the king is saying, I just want you to be stewards of that which I've given you, to care for it, to offer it. So who is he pointing at at this time? Who do you suppose Jesus is referring to? Because in Isaiah 5, he, uh, God is referring to the nation of Israel. But in this passage, Jesus does not seem to be talking about the nation uh, as a whole. He's talking about the leaders within. The ones who are supposed to care for it. The ones who were supposed to clip off sin when it manifested who were supposed to give of the abundance to others, who were supposed to offer to God what was his. And Jesus is calling them out. Do you think for a moment Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? He knows absolutely what he's doing. And in fact, later on in chapter 12, uh, there's this great passage and uh, they, they come to Jesus and they say, uh, we know that you don't care about anyone's opinion. In other words, Jesus is just going to, in truth and in love, he's just going to present it. And that's what he does to the leaders there, recognizing that this is going to be, in part, what is used to put him on the cross in just a few days. He says this, have you not read the scripture and he's going to quote Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus makes an incredible statement the statement that he makes in that passage is going to haunt some people. So much so that in this last week when Jesus is put on trial, it's going to come up. 
They're going to refer to something that he said nearly three years earlier. And this is what he says. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it. And it haunts them for three years. And as you may recall, in that moment in John chapter 2, when Jesus makes this proclamation, is really frustrating. Like, it took a long time to build that temple. There is no way that you're going to build it back up in three days. No way. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about the resurrection, right? Because to Jesus, he recognizes something uh, that is more than just a spiritual truth. He recognizes that the temple, this building, is a picture. And the picture is of God indwelling people. That through these times of sacrifice, of offering, of prayer, of burning of incense, of cleansing, of sanctification, there is the presence of God within and Jesus recognizes that he, he is the real temple. And in the New Testament, we are, we are called that temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, also Ephesians chapter 2. We individually and we corporately are that temple that as we come before the Lord, his presence indwelling us, we are sanctified by his cleansing, his work, the sacrifice that he gave is the life that we have, that we have this clear relationship with him, that there is no veil between us, that we have a relationship with God and it is good and it is beautiful and it is holy, and it is right. And Jesus says, quoting Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the foundation that really marks the whole building. It's, it's what is being built upon the church that exists today. Friends, we are built on Christ and Christ alone. Like he is the cornerstone, the DNA, the way that we look as a church directly is infected and affected by this cornerstone that is the building of Christ that happens within each individual member, but also within the whole of the church. We are that. And it's a beautiful picture. Let's just keep going. Let's jump down to uh, verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. Like that's a big difference between Jesus and the leaders. They feared the people. Jesus, like there's only one person to fear, and that's God. We should have a holy respect for him. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. They left him and went away. Here we are, friends. Today, this Sunday, we have some decisions to make. And what will these decisions be? How will we proclaim, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Baruch, Habab, Shem, Adonai? How will we proclaim that in a way that isn't just about what we get from the king of glory, 
but also just who he is in his beauty and in his wonder and in his majesty and the mystery that he offers his church. Like, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to be like those in Israel of Jesus' day when they didn't get what they wanted? They were willing to kill, steal, and destroy. That sounds a lot like the devil, doesn't it? Or will we respond in faith? All I have is you. And Lord, in sickness and in health, you are God. And when my spouse is following you or not, you are God. When my children are following you or not, you are God. When my workplace is toxic or not, you are God. When there is more month than money or more money than month, you are God. And I worship you. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says that that will be the call of Israel when he returns. And he's coming again. And I just wonder for us if we would be that kind of church that we would be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, not because of what we get, but because of who you are. And that, that maybe if we had like this vision in our mind of a stadium and going around the stadium is like the wave. You ever do the wave in a stadium? You guys ever do that? Ever part of it? Five of you have? Great. Um, okay. So you know how that works, and it kind of goes all the way around, and, and initially there's just a few hands, and then, and then it just kind of builds, right? What, what if that were us today? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's just, just a few hands, and it builds, and in these days it's going to climax with Israel going, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Lord, we missed you when you came initially, but we see you now. We call on you as our Savior. We want you. We need you. Not because of what we get, because you are the God of glory. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. We build on Jesus. And like the apostles... We need to stay in line with the teachings of the Word of God. Because the teachings of the Word of God uh, are offering us life. And as we follow what God has commanded, we are, in essence, offering a taste of the fruit to the Lord, His vineyard. In dealing with conflict, Jesus recognizes something. Or, I'm sorry, the people recognize something about Jesus. He's going to speak the truth in love. In other words, he's not scared of what's going to happen. He actually knows he's going to offer his life that we would have life. And the scripture says, but for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. For my sin and for yours. For ours. I want to give us a moment to reflect on this as the worship team is going to be coming out and we're going to prepare for communion. I want to challenge us because God is faithful. The children of Israel didn't repent. The leaders didn't change. And in 70 AD, that temple was destroyed and for 2,000 years it hasn't been used in the way that it was intended and God has put his spirit within man, within humans, 
that he dwells within us, that we are this third temple, the temple of God. And he wants to do a work within us, but he's God. And he's asking something of us, and I perceive that it's similar. Where's the fruit? And are we giving that fruit to him? I want to give you just a, a few moments before we go into communion to just ask the Lord. Like this, is, this is a beautiful day to get it right. If you're like, uh, Kenny, you're coming at me. Yeah, I'm not sorry. Because eternity is uh, in the balance. And I think all of us in this room want to stand before that holy God and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this is a good time to reflect and let the Spirit of God deal with us as he will. Additionally, we prepare our hearts for communion because we remember that when we couldn't save ourselves, as we came into the intersection of faith and fear, God said, I, I got this. I give my life that you can have life. And I went to the cross for my sins and for yours. And we remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. And so during this next song, as you're reflecting, you also may want to spend this time just celebrating. It's, it's blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe from the overflow of our spirit today would just be the beginning of those hands in the stadium waving. But soon, perhaps even in our own lifetime, it'll go around the nations and land on Israel when they say, Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. Lord, we need you. We love you. We thank you and we praise you. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. We thank you for your word and the power of your word, the truth of your word. And today as we come together, we ask for your spirit to do what only your spirit can do. That you would convict of sin, that you would glorify the son, and that you would be exalted here today. As we enter into our time of communion, Lord, let us see, let us remember, let us taste that the Lord is good, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for our sins. <coughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.